From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. James, it's great to actually be with you in person, and we've uh, kind of on a uh, little bit of an Infocom run. We did a few preview shows, and we uh, now are in person together talking about the real deal here. Yeah, it's great that we are in person talking, and but it's always sad that we have to have a trade show for us to be in, in the same place, even though we're both well, you in the moved same away. state. Uh, yeah, I know. And well, now you have a kid, so you're busy. Congrats on that. Thank you, thank you. Well, we, we actually have a special guest joining us today, and, and that is Ryan Gray from Yavapai College. And Ryan, you and I got a chance to meet just for a short time at ISE, and I was glad that we did, and we wanted to have you uh, join us. I know you and um, uh, James talk a bit through HETMA, so why don't you just uh, give us a couple of uh, seconds about your background and we'll, we'll uh, talk a little bit further. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was good to uh, join up. The person I was supposed to interview with that day stood us up and Steve jumped in at the last second and saved the show because if it was only me on AV Week, that was not <laughs> going to be a great experience. And James and I do know each other, uh, more of a frenemy relationship, I yeah. would say, than any other. Um, no, so my name is Ryan Gray, <laughs> my day job, uh, Assistant Director of IT at Yavapai College in Northern Arizona, uh, Pine Tree, Arizona, not Desert, Arizona. Um, and like I said, I think we are the, the most AV advanced small school in the country. I'll put us up against anybody. We try and punch above our weight class. Outside of that, I'm uh, uh, proud to serve on the board of directors of the Higher Education Technology Managers Alliance, which is what brings us kind of to this amazing trade show and uh, the opportunity to talk with you guys. Excellent. So uh, just for people listening to this in the future, this is Infocom 23. We're in the HEPMA booth, which is the first time uh, that there's been an end-user booth on the show floor, which is very exciting, and we're very gracious for them to give us a podcasting uh, studio. Um, so, Ryan, one of the things that we talked about a little bit in, prior to having you on is that you're a Crestron Master's Certified Programmer, which uh, means that you speak the same language as our audience, which, Some is, of it, yeah. which is great, but, but you really don't do that. Um, on a regular basis, and I share that as well. Yeah. So um, we, we do realize that there is more to programming and, and getting a programming background than actually always writing code. Yep. And now you're into IT. So talk a little bit about why programming is important to you and how it has helped you get to where you are now. Sure, it's a great question. Because So when I uh, first, I, I started in live event AV, where you don't have programming, people are the programming, technicians. You build a system, it lives for three or four days, people operate it and put it away. Moving into higher ed, the, the difference is, right, I need users to be able to do everything that they need to do in a way they understand how to do it. and. So uh, at, at Yavapai College, we're 100% in-house integration. We buy boxes, we do our own designs, our own cable, our own programming. So it quickly, and as kind of a Crestron house, it became very important to go, I, I gotta get up to speed on this. Because in the long run, our users, our students, our instructors, they don't know what brand name is on the box, in the rack, in the lectern. It does not matter to them. What does matter to them is, what does the user interface look like? And do, do the things happen when I touch it that I expect to happen? And are the things I need to happen available? And so for us, for me, programming is like the link between technology and user experience, technology and operation. And then for us, that means between our technology and the actual learning that has to take place. Because if I just set that up and say, here's all the manuals for this stuff, go figure it out, it, it doesn't work. So that's kind of, 
uh, what we love about that and being and doing kind of in-house programming is we can we can cultivate exactly what a space needs to be one by one this lab may need something a little different from that one and build something, we set it up, it's not exactly what they needed, then we're back in making that tweak. We're back in being able to make adjustments on that front and take the experience of taking, you know, $50,000 worth of AED gear and do exactly what our instructors needed to do and make so that they're thinking teaching, they're not thinking technology. So James, uh, why don't you jump in on this a little bit. Um, how is what um, Ryan's talking about different from what you've seen in the past or what you're, uh, what you're used to seeing. So a little different there is it sounds like each room is kind of customizable, like it's unique. It's almost on an island on its own, each room, which kind of goes against higher ed and our standard of, you know, no matter what room you go into, they're all the same. But I feel that what you're trying to do is your UI downs allows the comfortability to go to different rooms, even though they might be different. Correct. Yeah. So I, it would be important to say we, you know, our our classroom standard is built on a single program that we have the master key program. It gets updated, and so rooms that are built on standard have that standard built into them because an instructor moving from classroom to classroom to classroom should never have to learn something new to do it. That being said, you know, as uh, a small college and basically like start as a community college, some of our big stuff is nursing, allied health like literally uh, welding and automotive and those sorts of things. Well, those spaces are need to be technology rich. Those spaces, they you don't want a group of students say, all right, let's go to this classroom to watch this video and then go out to our practical lab and do the thing. We treat all of those spaces as learning environments. So that's where the customization comes in because a biology lab, you know what I'm saying, and where they take apart diesel engines needs kind of two different things. And so it gives us the flexibility to do that and kind of, and still be able to build on standards, have that sort of thing, and then customize. So our key program is built to have uh, customizations available that we kind of know are coming, and then we can iterate it as it goes um, to, to be able to provide what that particular space may need. Oh, but yeah, I, I do not recommend doing an individual program per room. You will make yourself crazy. Do not do that. No, it, it, honestly, even in the corporate spaces, we're still seeing that. Yeah, and, and it's uh, I, I find that to be especially the way things are headed to be a recipe for failure. Exactly. Because making one change that you have to do in eighty programs becomes a big deal. Exactly. Even if it's a five minute change. Yeah. And so not you know not to make a restaurant commercial, but we're we you know. There's, I still see big companies, universities afraid of like server-based control and things like that. You know, we've been on VC4 for a year and a half in some of those places and it allows us to do that. We have an iteration, we have a bug, we fix it, we put it up and it propagates out to all the spaces that need that fix. That's wonderful. And so then now my person, I'm not doing a ton of programming anymore, but other people are doing it. And now they have, their time isn't in change a line and push it, change a line and push it. Their time is better spent in what is the next version and relating with our instructors, talking with students and being able to be relational technologists, not just behind the scenes technologists. How many, what percentage would you say of your systems all work under that one unified code base? Is it all of them? No, but I would say probably 60, 
60% kind of works under that one code base, and then 40% have either are not built on that or were built on that and then sort of plucked because it was going to be different enough to not try and make it work. And then, you know, we're, we're a five, six-year cycle, so some of that is because we're just moving through updates. So, you know, as we go through, that percentage will go up and up and up till it'll probably be around 75% probably by the time we're done. And are you uh, leveraging any modern programming languages or is this just in the Yeah, so as a master, a Crestron master programmer, right, I, I'm from the days of simple windows and, you know, plus. But the, the people behind me are not, right? They don't want to code in that. So we we code in C-sharp and we teach these programming languages. So then my the next the next guy coming up through that is gonna do it in Python. And so we, we can actually leverage the classes that we teach in those programming languages in our computer science division, because now they're directly relatable to AV programming. Not, you know, you don't have to go another way. And I'm sure we've all seen where you know, in a Crestron training class, uh, 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 another type of coder or programmer was sent to go, hey, go learn this because we need you to program our stuff. And they were looking at simple windows, you know what I'm saying, going, oh my gosh, this is not modern. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about and that And it anymore. works the other way too, but yeah, 100%. It's, uh, but, but you, I think you bring up a good point and I think that's important because for, for some time we've been talking about and we talk about on the show a bit, that programmers need to look beyond what is right in front of them. Yeah. And they need to be able to grasp on to what are the tools out there and, and the, this whole world of programming that exists outside of AV. Yeah. And, and, and as a, you know, in my role of director of IT, right, we have a whole other department that does Apple, app, enterprise application development for our thing. Well, now we have people in AV that are speaking the same language as enterprise and web app developers because they're working on some of the same things and all of a sudden they start coming up with ways of actually making those worlds meld, build something that goes between them, right? Our HTML touch panels, why aren't they built on the same CSS that our website is? So that if we change a color scheme, all of our stuff can change along because the same CSS is bringing it in. This stuff's easy to do but by speaking the same language, now it becomes, you know, a pretty straightforward thing to get done. If, if there was one challenge that you could point to that you would say, we didn't expect this, or this is one of the, the prices that we pay for going a route like this, what, what would it be? Yeah, so uh, here's a great example. So the, the, the challenge we have by trying to be all in-house is your, ca your total capability has a ceiling, right? And so I have, we're, we're rolling into now um, a renovation phase on a couple of buildings and I have overlapping projects. And so we will not, like it, if I were to say, we can do all of the work in the next two and a half years between design, install and program, it, I would kill our people. It wouldn't, it like, that would not be taking care of them. Yeah. So we, I, what's kind of cool is now I'm working the other direction, which is we are going to have to get help from the outside to get through these projects for the betterment of, of our students. So the cool part about that is being involved in things like HETMA and higher ed being able to have a seat at the table means I know people at integration firms. I know people at say control concepts. I have those connections. I'm not sitting in Northern Arizona going, Google, how do I get help doing these things? We know where to go so that our students, like sometimes, People in higher ed think of trade shows like this as a vacation or it's a place because you go out, you get to have dinner, you do the thing. It is the connections made 
through things like this 100%. that will directly benefit. I would be so up a creek if I didn't have those. So now I know, like as we go down the road, okay, what can we do and what needs we need to go out? I know where to get that help. And then as we get that help, we become better. We learn by the practices we see from other schools, the practices we see from third-party people who come in to help. So it's actually a really exciting time for us in the next two and a half years to kind of be able to expand that out a little bit. I like that. And you're being inclusive and you're realizing the value that others can bring. Yeah. And, and having outside perspective, I think, could, could give you a... a uh, maybe open your yourself up to new ideas too. Absolutely, I think you know the the stereotype of an IT person, right? Is someone who sits in a dark room behind a screen all day, looks and just does stuff on that one computer all day. And there are people that live and like that lifestyle. But you know, being connected with other people, especially as a programmer, to be able to go, the you know. The saying is, right, that good writers steal from other writers, or, or good writers borrow from other writers, great writers just steal from them outright. Like, being connected to other people that have solved the problems that I have, that are met some of those challenges, and that what you know and what I know put together will generate something better than what either of us could have done individually is, you know, it's human connection makes the difference in eventually, like, the code you put out or the integration ideas that you'd never even thought of before because because there's a place to, to throw those ideas around. And that's kind of the essence of why we're doing what we're doing because yeah. we're trying to build community around programmers. We're trying to take them off of the islands yep. that they may be on and we're also letting giving them a place to be able to demonstrate the value that they provide. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, I, I want to shift gears a little bit while we have you because um, yeah. I know one of James's favorite sayings is, AV is IT, and you're an AV and IT person, so you guys talk about that a little bit. But James, why don't you kind of elaborate on what you mean by that, and I, I think Ryan, give us a little bit of perspective as to somebody who has moved from AV to IT. Sure. So I'm, my whole concept of AV is IT is that IT is not network. IT is not desktop. IT is not software development. It encompasses all of this. It's a process and thinking of taking technology and passing information through it. And what are we doing in AV? Taking information and passing it through technology. So AV is IT. It's a whole mindset of the principles I've learned in IT and applying it to AV is the same. Um, now, granted, there are unique things about AV that like a DBA is not going to know or care about, but there's things in AV that a, uh, we're not going to care about a DBA. Doesn't mean that we don't communicate with each other. Doesn't mean that we're not both IT and need to be able to talk to each other. It's just we are specialists. Yeah, so I, one, I 100% agree with that, right? Like, AV people talk about AV and IT and pretend IT is one thing, right? But same thing, if you, you, you talk to a network administrator, you know where I am, a, 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 a systems admin, and those they see each other as different specialties also. So the, the, I think the key to remember there is when, when AV, IT, whatever, works at its best, from top to bottom, left to right, everyone in that chain is thinking about the products that they're putting out. And that's kind of, I, I think, the key to it. So. We, uh, during COVID, so it, 
higher ed, you know, sometimes there's people who have jobs a long time. They sit in them a long time. We, we call it retired in place, you know. Well, co and, and our school was kind of like one. that. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. Uh, but then COVID jostled it loose. All of a sudden there's retirements and people think about things different. And we had this opportunity to say, like, we are going to, we get the opportunity to remake some of our IT department. What are we going to do? And one of the things we did was, one of the strengths we had was our AV group. And our and one of the reasons for that is we had a laser focus on user experience, user experience. And we, we adopted the idea of a service organization, right? We don't build AV stuff to, for it to be cool or for our use, we do it for other people. And so we were able in our reorg to kind of say, uh, like for instance, in our support and integration group, you know, now the same group does AV integration and design, also endpoint purchasing design management is in the same group because we divided it up not by what hardware do you work on, but what is your role to our end user? So they have like roles, let's have them work together, right? And that sort of changed the paradigm. So I'll, AV is IT, I'll go one more, which is uh, it may be time for, you know, in higher ed for AV to start thinking we need to take over IT. We want, not only do we want to say it's okay to be a part of it, we want a seat at the leadership table. Because you hear a lot, you know, AV salaries are less than IT, or my CIO doesn't understand X, Y, and Z. You want to know when they'll understand? When one of us is the CIO. When one of us is willing to do that. The flip side is, you have to take on responsibility, right? You have to say, we, you know, we are networking experts. Are we willing to take on the higher level of networking responsibility that our counterparts are with? And if we are, AV can drive the future of what IT looks like and can have that seat at the table. So that's kind of my encouragement to people of where's the first R1 institution CIO that came up through their AV department, not through some other part of IT. But let's take that on. Let's look at that challenge and say, they don't get to tell us what we're going to do. Let's go show all we can do and go partner and get involved. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say that's probably a good place for us to stop. <laughs> but, but a very important thing in the conversation that we probably should be continuing. But I, I applaud you for that. And I think it's something that we all need to challenge ourselves to figure out how do we get to a leadership position and, and a programmer shouldn't just be thinking about being a programmer, but what can I do to use my programming background to build a career? Yes, absolutely. Because the, you know, the sky is the limit on those sorts of things. And most places are looking for people who are willing to take responsibility and like to just care to make sure the end result is as good as it can be. And if that sounds like you, you know, someone will open the door. If you're somewhere where they won't open the door for you, you will find a place that will. Very encouraging, thank you. How, cool. how can people get in touch with thank you? Thank you, sure. Learn so more about what you're up to and your, your school and so forth. You can find it, so, the, you know, LinkedIn is always easy to find me. Ryan Gray, Ryan Gray Hetma, Ryan Gray Yavapai is a good one. My Twitter handle I don't like, it's Ryan underscore A underscore Gray. I've emailed the guy who has at Ryan Gray, he's not using it, but he won't just give it to me, you know what I'm saying? And I'll plug, uh, look on your thing for the AVIT Amplifier podcast. It's new, we're just getting started on it. But we talk a lot about, we, we 
we talk a lot of small tech and a lot about people who work in tech. Nice. So it, the whole point is, what are, what are the voices, ideas that need some amplification that may have a hard time getting through sort of the, the, the screen of technology content? Let's see if we can punch through that. Great. I Thank you for letting that. me uh, make that plug as well. You got it. Anytime. Always. James, uh, any final thoughts? Um, Ryan and I, if you ever follow us on Twitter, or yeah. Something, yeah, we have a banter. But you know what? I have nothing but mad respect for Ryan. He is a great guy. I love serving on the board of Hatma with him. I love connection with him. And he has a great insight in what we do as programmers, what we do in higher ed, and what we do in IT, and what we do in AV. So if you have any questions, reach out to Ryan. Listen to his podcast. But as always, you can find me on Twitter, AV underscore James King. I'm on AV and AM a lot of the time, where Steve and I will converse. Uh, you can find me on AV Life. You can find me on Anything Hetma. Google me, you'll find me. Wonderful. And again, thank you for Hetma for having us here in the, uh, in the booth on the show floor in Infocom 23. For me, you could reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media, my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. But most importantly, please uh, continue to listen and check us out here at Ask the Programmer on YouTube as, and Google and Apple Podcasts. And please let us know what you think. Share your favorite episode. If you would like to be a part of the conversation, we're more than happy to have some new guests and new voices. So please reach out to us about that. And um, j just uh, let, let people know that we're out here. So um, with that, this has been Ask the Programmer. <laughs>